Hey everybody, this is Eric Krasno and you are listening to the Plus One Podcast. I want to thank everybody that's been tuning in. I um, want to thank everybody that's been spreading the word about the show and sending me messages. Uh, you can always send messages to krasplus1 at gmail. That's kras with a Z, plus one at gmail. Also krasplus1 on Instagram. Um, or you can always hit me at Eric Krasno, Instagram or Facebook or wherever. But more importantly, we appreciate you subscribing on Apple Podcasts or following us on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I want to give a shout out to Osiris Media, who helped me put this show together. They helped me produce the show. They also have a lot of other great content. So you can go to OsirisPod.com and check that out. I think a lot of you would agree with me in saying that 2020 has been a very tough year, a very challenging year. Uh, a lot of us have had to kind of regroup and figure out what we're doing and how to navigate in this new world. Um, but we've also lost a lot of important people, a lot of important musicians, politicians, from Ruth Bader Ginsburg to John Lewis, and just so many people that have been important to American culture. And uh, this week we lost a musician that was so hugely influential and had a major impact on me and everyone around me uh, growing up, and that's Eddie Van Halen. He wasn't just a great guitarist. He was one of those guys that completely changed the art form. In my opinion, as important as anyone in guitar, like Jimi Hendrix and B.B. King, there was before Eddie Van Halen and there was after Eddie Van Halen. He added so many layers of sound to the instrument that had never been heard before. Things that we could pick up on and add to our vocabulary as young guitarists, but most of it we could never achieve because he was the only one that could do what he did. And beyond that, he wrote so many incredible songs and Van Halen had so many hits and his stage presence was unlike anyone else. So I want to send a huge thank you to Eddie Van Halen and my condolences to his family and friends. One of the great things about doing this show is I get to connect with old friends and just talk about a lot of different things that I've always wanted to talk about with them and ask questions that I may have never asked. And uh, my guest today is one of my oldest friends. We went to college together. We were actually housemates for a while. And I learned such a huge amount from him. He was one of the first guys I was around that was producing records, writing songs. And uh, I tried to absorb as much as I could from him when we were living together. We did countless gigs together, from lettuce gigs to bar gigs to wedding gigs, where we'd have to learn tons of like classic R&B and pop songs. We always just had a blast playing together, and uh, it was really great to reconnect. He's one of the smartest guys I know and one of the most creative musicians I know, and it's rare that you find all of those qualities in one person. For those of you that don't know, I'm talking about Jeff Basker, who's one of the biggest pop producers in the world. He's written and produced more pop hits than almost anyone that I can think of. He's worked with everybody from Mark Ronson to Rihanna to Keith Urban to One Republic to Bruno Mars, Jay-Z, numerous projects with Kanye West and even the Rolling Stones. It's pretty clear that everybody wants to work with Jeff. The interview took place a number of months back, so it was right when COVID hit. So you'll hear us talk a little bit about shelter in place and how that was affecting us and the world around us. I doubt we would have predicted that in October we'd still be quarantined and dealing with corona. So I'm excited to get into this interview, but first we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. 
He's a phenomenal keyboard player, singer, a songwriter, a ranger, and a legendary producer. I'd like to welcome today's Plus One, Jeff Basker. How are you holding up in the uh, in the madness? Kind of gave me a chance to do a lot of things that I wanted to do. Not to mention, I mean, we rented this house in Malibu, got like this great family life that like just just awesome. We're just like having dinner every night together and cooking and getting the house together. So it kind of got thrown into this like it wouldn't have happened if if this wouldn't have been going on. So um, and it's just beautiful out here. So. Yeah, man. That's, I mean, I'm all of a sudden cooking. Like I've always loved cooking, but just, I'm always on the road. So like now I'm actually like learning to cook. Um, and you know, my fiance is pregnant too. So it's just like, we've been able to just be together. And then I have my studio back here, which like, you know, I'd be here for three days or two days and usually have some deadline to finish something. Now I'm just in here like fucking around with synths and like <laughs> just like having fun like i haven't done that since like you know right. like 20 years oh, so totally i'm 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 enjoying it i kind of feel bad for how how much i'm enjoying it actually i know i know what you mean it's so funny every musician is like i love it and yeah. uh the rest of the world is like it's not a normal normal thing but yeah. you know we'll uh yeah, it's it's rough. I mean, I, I have a lot of I, I feel for all the people that are, um, you know, even in not as great a, a situation as, um, you know, especially even musicians like we're so used to like living gig to gig or like not having this kind of regular income. Um, so it's kind of like I remember during like 2008. Uh, financial crisis everyone was like getting fired and losing their jobs and we're just like we're just kind of perpetually unemployed so uh it's like kind of fine like gig economy gig workers so we we yeah, right. we're pretty talking i was texting with schmeens and he's like i kind of love it and it's like it's so funny everyone is like well it's an actual excuse like this when i moved to la i was like okay now i'm gonna like be in the studio every day and try to like work on projects and try to create this new life and i couldn't quite do it you know because i just kept doing gigs and gig offers would come in and they were good gigs so i didn't want to pass it up so it was hard this is like enabling me to do all these things like start you know really focusing on the podcast like doing like doing studio work it's like sometimes getting good at something requires you to have to do it or like have to do it all the time um and have to like work at it it's it's like out of necessity um so it's been good for me to kind of hone some new skill i've been learning like uh my cameras and learning Adobe Premiere and shit like shit, like looking at YouTube, like, and learning, uh, man, YouTube tutorials. Holy shit. When I was a kid, I wish I had that when I was fucking 13 learning guitar and shit, you know, it's like game changer. I like never dove into that. Um, but yeah, it's been an interesting time. I mean, I wondering how long it's going to last. That thing, I just, like, I've been seeing articles that, are saying concerts and festivals won't happen for like a year or two, which is scary for a lot of people in, in my world. But it's like, also, you know, the thing about doing this podcast is a lot of my friends, I'm just able to talk for an hour or so. And we just don't ever do that. You know? 
absolutely or catch up and connect in general like yeah. in in la like what a year now and like i know it's crazy kind of like, yeah, let's hang out sometime and like you know we're just all all busy in our lives and you kind of get to filter it down to um to connecting uh with people that are that are important in your life or or kind of like the noise it's is turns off so you can kind of like uh hear those things calling like okay like and having the space to to do that so i'm I'm so happy to uh connect with you and and be on your show yeah for sure and even just beyond the show like i've been having hour to two hour conversations with people that just never happened before because all, like you said, all of us have so much shit going on. It also, it's just been kind of shifting people's priorities a little bit. People are hanging out, like you said, people are hanging out with their families, connecting with their friends. Like I've been FaceTiming with my parents all the time, which I never right. haven't been doing. Right. Um, you know, just all those little things that are, are way more important than we sometimes realize, you know? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, well, I listened a little bit to your talk yesterday, actually, and uh, uh-huh. got pretty inspired from that. Um, you're really great <laughs> at putting into words uh, kind of, you know, I, you, you were just breaking down a lot of, of, of interesting um, facts about artists you've worked with and, and how you kind of help motivate not only the artists you work with, but you've been mentoring other producers and stuff. And I just Uh thought that was really interesting. One of the things that really kind of resonated with me was just taking small steps. A lot of people, I I think I am the, that's my worst trait is that I want to do something and I want to go all the way there and Uh skip, but there's like no way to really skip the steps. Like, like you talked about how dumb luck does happen, but it's usually a flash in the pan. And I thought that was really interesting um, and poignant and something that took me a little while to not only realize, but to incorporate into my Uh process. (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh Which kind of speaks a little bit to what's going on right now and slowing down and spending a little more time on each thing. And I thought, I think that's something that I learned from you, from being around you, um, you know, we go back 25 years or maybe even more. And you were probably the first person I ever see produce, you know, or like, like you were the first guy I knew with like a sequencer, you know, making me, I remember the ASR 10, like rack thing that you had back in the day. Actually, I remember turn. (laughs) I didn't realize that turning it off would lose everything you had in there. And I think I turned it off one time because it was like I was like, "Oh, let me just save a little electricity." Because when we were living together, and I think I heard, I woke up to you being like, "No." So I apologize for that. uh, Officially, that's okay. I was I was pretty acclimated to that from like every time we'd make a beat all night, and then someone would inevitably kick the 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 the, uh, power cable out of the, the the outlet. Uh, and we'd lose like the 20 beats that we'd been making all night. So yeah. I'm sure it was nothing, nothing new, but yeah, those are, those are amazing times. It's actually, I had had the recording equipment, um, but I used it in such a kind of almost academic way. And it was actually Deitch that had the ASR, I think. Yeah, he had the keyboard. We, he, I actually, actually just had him on the show, and like we talk a lot uh, about that too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Right. Yeah, and he had the keyboard, and, and yeah. then he was showing what he was doing when I when I met him and I met you, and he's like, "Yeah, I mean, I'm making beats," and I'm like, yeah. "Beats? What are beats? You know?" <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, you know, you make a beat and then you sell it to a rapper, and I was like, "So it's kind of like that shift from kind of just having recording equipment or whatever my exploration in music was to." thinking about it in this kind of music industry uh, uh, framework, you know, and I, I don't mean that in any kind of, I think sometimes there's like a negative connotation with the music industry, right. but kind of it re, it readjusted my musical perspective from being like our, our academic and learning about it and just being interested in it to, not even thinking about money necessarily, but interacting or, or engaging with people in a whole new, uh, setting or framework. Um, so that's interesting. You bring that up because it was, uh, it was in, in our connection to Adam Deitch, of course, is, is, is really a, a, a key, he's a key person in the, in those days of, um, of us all being together and learning from each other. And I was really inspired by, by him and you, you know, and kind of the things you guys were doing together was a big, a big shift for me coming from a, like a, okay, like really straight ahead jazz background. Right. But then for some reason I was into these keyboards and recording gear. Um, and you were like, you were making songs too, which like at the time we were really you know, Deitch and I were like making beats and our, we always had this thing in our mind. We're going to sell this to this rapper and this other rapper. And, and we did at times, but you right. were, you were seeing it through to the end, you know, which didn't happen for me for a little while. Um, but that was inspiring for us to watch that and, and, and you to actually put your songs together and you singing the songs and you writing the songs, um, you know, which was happening right in front of us and and that was we always were impressed by that and you also were working with other singers and well yeah that you nailed you nailed it on the head because like like after Deitch he was the one who kind of set the tone for you know what a record was supposed to be and what a record was supposed to stand, sound like and I definitely like learned a lot from I think taking it from like a beat making place to a finished song place uh, or, you know, and, you know, and that R and B vein was a, a really good link between where I was coming from with like jazz and, and my kind of love and interest in like black music and a black art form uh, that we were all kind of interested in, you know, and funk music and jazz and all that stuff is, all it belonged in that family of uh black music but it was kind of a gateway to a song format and uh and a and a format that would be like a song on a radio or or an album or ma mainstream music right more mainstream music versus we were into kind of jazz and and funk music which maybe at time you know at a, t at a certain time was was more mainstream, I think, than that time we we uh, were at Berkeley, which was like you know in the mid '90s, was like it wasn't necessarily the jam band scene was very was was exploding, but it wasn't like 
I think jazz and black music was kind of waning, you know, even though like yeah. Grant from Microsoft was on the Tonight Show, it was kind of like the last gasp of jazz. At least I, I always kind of see it that way. Um, and there, you know, and not to say that there are more and more talented and brilliant uh, jazz musicians than ever, but it's just not as much a piece of our, the, the, the fabric of our culture and society the way it used to be Definitely. and had its kind of influence over um, shaping American and global culture, um, which it still has an influence on. And, you know, like trap music and, 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 hip hop in its modern state is definitely an extension of all of that. Um, but it's kind of almost it's merged with technology and, and in this technological social media age, it's kind of merged. Whereas, um, you know, I guess it just reflects the time we're in. Whereas like guys like you and me, I feel like a lot of what was turning us on was kind of this, almost this feeling like I was born in the wrong era, you know, like you had this feeling like, gosh, what would it be like to hang out with James Brown or Miles Davis? And, and we really, at least I, and I can just only guess that you and a lot of our, our peers, you know, had that feeling of like this nostalgia and this feeling of like such a curiosity and wonder and romanticism for, bygone eras you know whereas right, now right. it's all i don't feel like that like kids or people necessarily have that kind of nostalgia but i i love to be proven wrong all the time and every time i say something like that you know a jacob collier or, or endless amount of like new teenage kids that are ripping in maine or somewhere are are uh, popping up so I'm hap- so so happy to be proven wrong on that, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's why I had this same conversation with Schofield, and, I, and he was talking about how he saw Hendrix and he saw Sly, but he and, and didn't realize at the time that he was seeing those people that now we, you and I would give anything to see live, you know, cause he was there I and mean, he knew it was amazing, but he was always talking, Oh man, if only, if only I could have seen, you know, bird and Coltrane. And he said like, it's just an evolution that's always, you know, flipping over. Um, I mean, but I think about that all the time. I'm always like, man, if I could live in San Francisco in 1969 or, you know, whatever, but, you know, but I think there is a lot of, really inspired music being made, like you said, and also people have access to so much from anywhere. So like, it doesn't matter. Well, I mean, obviously there's, there's different levels to it, but if you have a computer connection, you can pretty much access any art, you know, which just wasn't, that's, that's a new phenomenon. So it's now kids at eight years old, are ripping if they want to. I don't think it's as cool as maybe it was, you know, to play a guitar, but I don't know if that's true, actually. And I, I definitely see 12-year-olds all the time that are just like, holy shit, um, because they right. can just turn on their computer and slow things down and figure out what people are doing. They don't have to, like, necessarily be in it. Yeah. You know, it used to be like you have to be in Harlem playing with the Bebop Cats and be there. Now right. you can live in like Taiwan and and watch videos over and over. So it's kind of interesting to watch that unfold. For me also, like as my like journey in music and, and as a producer went on, you know, talking about like Miles 
like I, it would always stuck with me how he and until his almost bef- right before his death he never went back and played his old songs and he made a point to always be going forward and trying to be on that cutting edge of what was going on musically um you know or whatever artistically and whatever and he was into painting and he was into you know i feel like um that that sensibility of being an artist you know we call musicians artists or we say like you know in more like mainstream music you refer to a singer as an artist or recording artist and you know like it's an interesting nuance to the terminology. Like when you go to, like when I went to spend some time in India uh, two years ago and was to have a friend uh, who was a really good friend of mine, who's a pretty, pretty popular singer there. And even just the whole terminology is different because of the structure. They don't call singers artists. Right. It's a structure for the culture. They're called singers, right. you know, and the producer is the producer of the Bollywood film. And the, what we know as a producer is the music director. You know, so right. even the terminology and their whole kind of emphasis on originality and creativity or like Eastern culture versus Western culture, you know, like there it's not about being original and individual. It's about doing your duty and being part of the culture and working together or like in Japan, how it's like, selfishness and individuality is the same thing so it has positives and negatives um but you know that's kind of i guess a little i'm going off on a tangent but like the main thought that to always be going forward and always be part of you know the culture and like as i got more interested in also like contemporary artists and like yeah. um like basquiat and like the era of like uh, fine art, or now we call them fine art painters, but you know, like our artists, but like, uh, they all had bands, you know, all those painters and artists in 80s, like in New York, they were surviving on nothing and making art out of junk, and they would have a band, and every, uh, you know, it was about the concepts and uh, I remember Adam said one time when he went to his drum teacher and told him he had a band and the teacher said, what's the concept? Right. And Deitch made a real big point of kind of bringing that question back to us. And that, that kind of idea along with kind of peeping how around that time in eighties or even in the seventies when it was like the concept album uh, became really popular and it kind of, you know, all those British musicians. And I'm trying to bring it back to like Hendrix, you know, how he was, a, it was as much as a ripping guitar player he was or innovative musically, it was also a very culturally moving Absolutely. Uh, person, right? And that the biggest artists are the ones that are intertwined with culture as a whole um, and just just kind of thought that came to my mind when we're talking about, especially from the perspective of us and young musicians, I always kind of want to emphasize with them that it's, you know, what's going to make your artistry great and what's going to make you stand out or develop and, and create something meaningful is more than the raw musicianship. You know, it's going to be your whole concept 
your whole understanding of culture and history, your whole uh, pushing and pushing that forward, right? And you may be pushing that forward without even knowing it, but you know, it's about the way you dress. It's about the kind of art you like. It's about the kind of design you like. It's about so many things more than music. So that thought just kind of came in my head when we're talking about Hendrix. And when you pointed out that it's like scope, that's interesting conversation. So kind of pointing out like, gosh, you never really know. We kind of get in our bubble from our vantage point. But, um, you know, working with Kanye West was like a big big leap for me in understanding someone who could synthesize all those things together. Right. Right. And it's interesting how, you know, in, in our culture here, mostly in Western culture, singers are kind of expected to be artists and they, maybe they're just great singers, you know? Um, But being an artist, like someone like Kanye West, I think it's sometimes misunderstood that there's so many things that come along with that. And like to move culture, like you said, you have to be paying attention and studying art on a lot of levels. Yeah, totally. And you point out the singer thing, you know, even like Kanye is like the obvious example, like say Rihanna, right? Right. She's not known for, she writes also, but she also is like curating more than like the importance of like, I have to write my own songs. She is going to get the best song that's right for her. And there's only one Rihanna, how you communicate the type of songs you choose the type of things you choose and the choices you make in your career or I wish I could find a better word for career, but in your, in your, uh, like in cultural your work. relevance, you know, and it's all about the work because for a painter or a sculptor, they don't get like us to kind of envelop someone's brain and ears and bathe it in inescapable sonic, uh, net, you know, they got a piece of work that's on a wall and someone's got to look at it and it's got to make an impact because they can right. turn away at any second. You know, they can't turn away from music, but <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. the work, they got that. They got to have that one moment. They, they got to get them, you know, so their their conceptual acumen is so much stronger than the average musician because we kind of get to cheat a little because we're just hypnotizing everyone with our sound waves, um, which is, you know, a wonderful thing. But it's 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 a really I think it's really beneficial for musicians to study other disciplines, particularly visual art, because they have such a handicap compared to us in making an impact in someone's life. Please stick around. We'll be right back after this short break. I wanted to go back to the Kanye experience a little bit because um, I'm curious a little bit how, because you started out as in his band playing keys back right. in like the early 2000s. How did that evolve into writing and producing with him? You know, it started gradually and step yeah. by step. And you knowing me, it will make perfect sense to you how this went down because it was like, okay, I'm in there. And, you know, at the time the band was like me a track, you know, the, the wonderful DJ A yeah. track and then like kind of like a female orchestra, a small orchestra, like so like maybe like two or three 
brass instruments like French horn and trumpet, um, cello, and like a couple of violins, a harp. Um, so, so there was these, you know, cause a lot of his repertoire, that was like around graduation, right? So yeah. a lot of his repertoire had the, 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 uh, late registration music in there, which had some, some of those arrangements like, um, like touch the sky or, um, I mean, touch the sky particularly, right? So it has that, that orchestration in there. Well, a lot of the charts were not really didn't seem to be right. Like some parts were wrong. So one thing might start with, you know, Hey, that arrangement doesn't sound quite right. Do you mind if I make a few modifications? And he was like, Oh yeah. Yeah. And then, um, you know, making sure I had the right sound for the right song and all these details. And actually, as I'm telling the story, it makes me realize it was that concept thing that I was just talking about. The more details that I was trying to kind of fix and also a track also gave me the heads up. He's like, yo, you know, you're, he really needs a music director. There was no music director up to that point. And a track kind of took that on a little bit but that wasn't really his discipline right, to right. know how to be able to communicate with like string players and do charts and stuff you know he's like a brilliant musician really but that's not he, he's, he's a dj so it's like his skill set was a different skill set and he encouraged me to he saw these kind of things i was doing and he was encouraging me to to do that more and more and and then also the more and more I did it, I would try to pick up on like what he's trying to accomplish as an artist. Um, and I think all those things kind of slowly, slowly added up. Well, you know what? One of the things really was, was he is, he's such a brilliant producer and made his name as a producer, but then transitioned into being a rapper, which was a big struggle for him. And then at that time he had kind of beat 50 cent in the, week debut right it was remember yeah, the battle I, I remember that because deitch and i had the the song on that 50 album and then they were oh, both on the shit. cover and that we were <laughs> and he beat him right. he beat him pretty bad it was for, from what i remember but right, that was right. a huge it was like a huge deal at the time right right so, and even as you know aptly titled the album graduation right he fully graduated into being the artist rapper Kanye West and he didn't really care to be doing productions and focusing on other people's music or doing the, you know, as great as producing is it sometimes, you know, and I experience this even right now, I'm kind of like really in this quarantine is kind of really giving me the push over the ledge to like, Hey, focus on my own music, you know, which is something I always admired about you. And I, you know, you talk about things you learn from me. I always learned from you how, you really created your own world and you always curated like what Kraz was about and what your sound was. And you collaborated with people so well and you're such a great kind of communicator and, and like uniter and, and uh, you could, but you always have this very solid identity of what you were and what your music sounded like and what your voice was on guitar and the type of choices you made in your career. So, you know, you were really way ahead of me in that respect. Um, and I always kind of noticed that about you. Um, but 
so Kanye was kind of like he had, you know, it was this Michael Jackson like tw- thriller 25th anniversary, right? And he had this, um, uh, you know, they were having all these big producers remix uh, a track on Thriller, and and we had been doing the Kanye gigs, and this was kind of going good, and I'm kind of like doing good, and then and and then even like, we'd have these parts in the show where the band and the DJ would drop out and we would just continue with like piano and Kanye rap. And it was kind of like spoken word, Kanye, Jeff jazz lounge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that kind of spirit and really my jazz kind of experience kicked in and being able to kind of improvise or just support and listen on the spot. So I think we started building a rapport already. And then one show we did this radio show performance where he decided on the spot he wanted to do something that wasn't in the set list and luckily i had kind of learned everything on the album uh and he said i want to do everything i am and i'm like oh and he looks at me look at the set list and he grabs me and he's like it's not on the set list and he's like you know it and he started just kind of humming it in my ear and we and then we did it on the spot you know, it, you know, it brought the house down because it's so spontaneous. And right. of course, he's like known for his spontaneity and just jumping off, jumping out of the window. <laughs> yeah. and that's kind of the wrong analogy. But in a way it is because it's like yeah. jumping out the window and then just learning how to fly. Right. And that's like he taught me how to take the biggest chances. But once he saw I could kind of hang like that, he asked me to come to the studio, you know, and then and then from that, like, um we were working on some stuff and, and you know, that went kind of okay. And then he would kind of like went out, I think he went out to the comedy club or he was kind of like, he was kind of avoiding doing the remix. So we're there like getting it ready, prepping the samples. And I even kind of made a beat and just kind of got it started. And then when he showed up, he was like, we were like, so do you want to work on this? And he's like, not really. And we're like, well, check out what we did with the samples. We made it real easy for you, blah, blah, blah. And we played him kind of what we did. And he was like, this is great. He's like, you just do it. Like, you do it, and then I'll supervise it, you know. And that kind of began this, like, I kind of showed up at the right time of, like, someone who understood his music. And he saw that I could understand that and that. I wanted to produce and I had a skill set doing that. And uh, cause I had already been producing. I mean, I had already had the game track and right. then took a step back to go play keyboards it was kind of just supposed to be a sub. I was supposed to be the substitute keyboard player. No, I remember, I remember it. So I think once he saw that, he was like, Oh damn, this is perfect. Like, so you can work on the stuff and then I'll just come and like, uh, supervisor or, or critique or edit be the editor you know it's like the editor right. of a newspaper right journalists like re- do all the work and i don't mean that in a negative way i'm just saying do the heavy lifting and then then the editor says you know what let me just clean this up now here change this this is good but that's not right change that sound this is good i like what you did there you know and and edit it and then boom, we could do the capacity. He was like, this is great. Like, um, and that gave me that opportunity to kind of jump in the studio and be a part of that. And then, and then halfway through, um, one of the tours, you know, I remember my mom came backstage and, and I, he's, he was always so like gracious with his time and friendly. And he's kind of such a, kind of a Midwestern 
good person. I don't think a lot of people really see that part of him, but there's like a sense of kind of like, like his mama raised him right. Right, right, right. And, and he's such a positive person, really, when it comes down to it. Um, and when my mom came to this show, he said, oh, man, Jeff's amazing. He's like, he's going to produce my next album with me. Because um, I had played him a little bit of the music that I had been working on. And his eyebrows kind of raised up. And he was like, hmm, like, oh, you're interested in songs, you know, huh? Interesting, interesting. I am, too. So he kind of dropped that bomb on me when when my mom showed up <laughs> that's funny and then that's led into 808s and heartbreak you know so it went from kind of working on tracks and producing to then like working on his music with him and then you know and then the kind of the rest is history as they say you know correct me if i'm wrong but i, I really hear you heavily in that record um was that mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. that was was did he kind of draw that out of you or were you like hey this is the kind of some of the concepts or here's some of the sounds and the synths that that i that i'm digging or how did that record like take place did he have a lot of those ideas already i mean you know it was a lot of ingredients that went together uh that we didn't even realize were going to come together necessarily um but uh you know for one um, my interest in in song and melody, and then, and, and you know that aligned with his, and then um, kind of the rapport that I was talking about, like we kind of built up um, together. The use of the auto tune, which came from the live show, you know, and like the good life. There's a T Pain part, and he said, "Oh, I, I want to sing the T Pain part." Right, right. Can we get the auto tune? So I can do it live. And we're like, yeah, no problem. We're already running the track off of Pro Tools. We'll just patch you into auto tune. So, you know, we set up the auto tune and he's like, oh, wow, I can, I, now I can sing. And it's like, I, I can play an instrument now. I can compose melodies. I want to do a whole singing album. Um, and everyone's just kind of like, yeah, 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 right. Whatever. Um, and then, um, you know, his, his mom passed away right before we went to do this European uh, leg of glow in the dark tour, which kind of really changed obviously like a huge moment in his life that not only like the kind of the heartbreak of like losing your uh, mom, who he was really, really close to kind of made him question, I think, and made a lot, you know, a lot of changes in his life that are all over you know, the, the, the subject matter of which is all over 808 and heartbreak. So kind of like all the, the bond and the, all of the interesting kind of, um, um, components and the palette that we had kind of been building on together, you know, and, and also like, you know, how I was mentioning that we'd break down a lot in the shows and just go to keyboard, piano and vocal, like very minimal kind of raw, uh, uh, orchestration or uh, palette 808 is a lot of that. Like, we wrote a lot of the music on the piano and singing melodies, so right, right. it's a very direct kind of you know, not every song, but a, you know, a, a lot of the album is kind of our collaboration and 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 rapport that we had built up, kind of not only being uh, highlighted and utilized on this album, but used in, 
in this very stark and and potent emotional uh, framework, you know, after going through that and him pouring out his emotions within that framework. So that's kind of, you know, why a lot of it kind of has some of my uh, identity mixed in there with it because it was a, a lot of what, how we had just kind of learned to work together. And, and you know, ultimately, like what you're saying, him drawing it out of me, that's what he does, right? And that's what a great, uh, not just a great, but a master producer does. And even though a lot of the producing heavy lifting duties came uh, into my uh, plate, I learned also like that, that it's not, it's not what heavy lifting you do. It's the decisions you make. And it's ultimately, that's what he was calling the shots on what direction and decisions we make and being able to kind of, you know, I always call him my creative mentor, you know, artistic mentor, because he, that's what he is, you know, and being able to see that up close and be a part of it was just like invaluable in, and just kind of shaped who I am now as an artist and, and making how I approach um, working on something or, or expressing an idea or, or trying to, to create uh, some kind of work, whether it's musical or, or visual or design something, you know, it all flows through my experiences. I mean, all my experiences really, but that was really a, an amazing learning experience for me uh, working with him. And that, that album kind of highlights a lot of the key uh, components of what we were doing. Right. And that album and obviously opened a ton of doors for you um, as a producer. And was, was Kanye a part of that? Was he kind of bringing you to his, I mean, obviously you worked with Jay-Z after that, Kid Cudi, Alicia Keys and a million other people. Yeah. Some, some, some stuff was, yeah, some stuff was, but then some stuff I was pulling the Kanye when we'd finished yeah. the, the work in the studio and studio was there. Everyone was lighting up a blunt. I was like, all right, I'm going to start like writing a song, making a track. You know, right. that's what like try sleeping in the broken heart was. Yeah, I was yeah. like, all right, um, I'm going to start. Here's some idea that kind of Kanye kind of passed on that, you know, I'd always kind of have a couple things brewing in my back pocket in right. case it caught his ear and he kind of passed on that. And, and I would like utilize the studio and utilize our time there to start, you know, at least try sleeping in the broken heart was like that. And then once try sleeping with a broken heart, went somewhere i was like hmm you know what i really need to pursue producing and songwriting and exploring my own artistry outside of what i can do with kanye so i kind of um i kind of started you know moving out and then like fun was a the fun album was like another big big uh uh movement i mean i think i think it was like around right before then that um that was kind of the end of dark twisted fantasy and I kind of stopped working exclusively with Kanye and was working on kind of my own projects as a producer exclusively. And then I would kind of cycle back in every now and then and, and, and work with him or even perform, you know, like his, his first Coachella headlining me and Mike Dean played that it was awesome. So always, always try to keep, you know, and even on this last, uh, that yay album, that free, Oh, actually it was kids. See ghost with kid Cudi, like right, that right. free. So I'm always like, you know, like there's a, a universe of, of people 
who have come into contact with Kanye and he always brings the best out of them and, and kind of supercharges the air with positivity. And, and I've, I've gotten to know and gotten to work with so many gifted musicians like, like Justin Vernon and Daft Punk. And, uh, I mean, the list just goes on and on of, of people that I came into contact with because of him. Um, and that you get called back in to work on something or contribute and be a part of the like Kanye summer camp, you know, it's like you just go in and, and, um, I always try to emulate Kanye and sometimes that means going away from him and going and, you know, like the way he went away from rock nation and made his own universe, you know, like that's the next step for me is to kind of evolve into really, and I've been doing that, but I even kind of, like revering him as such a great mentor. Like I even want to kind of push that out of my mind. And I, I might even just, this might be the last Kanye story I tell on tape um, for a long, long time. Well, and also you, like even with the group fun, you know, you, you did you sign them too? Or were they, or were they, or you came in and ended up kind of executive producing. You were very heavy handed in that project. I remember you playing that for me like way back. Yeah. I didn't necessarily executive produce it. Um, I think the the identity kind of popping up there was just kind of that 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 Nate and I worked, who's who's my dear friend to this day, really worked closely together on that album, and then beyond that, you know, um, because we found we had an amazing uh, kind of chemistry together with or our skill set, and and um, we're even like working on a on a musical right now. Um, that's like. And even, you know, another evolution of, of us working together. Um, but it was kind of like Nate really saying, it, you know, like the best, another like nugget of like producing is like the best situation to get in. Like, always make sure you work with artists that know what they want to do. And the best situation is that the artist produces you, you know, like right, they right. should love what you do. And especially in a case where you are kind of contributing a lot musically, not like necessarily in a, I mean, it could be in a situation like old school producer that doesn't even like Phil Spector or something doesn't necessarily play on anything, but like someone that went in and goes, I want that Phil Spector sound, man. I want all that reverb on there. And I want you to point guns at everybody. You know, it's like, it's like when the artist really, really loves what you do and are embracing that and pushing you to do that that's kind of like the best scenario for for everybody you know because the artist then really knows what they want and you can it's the easiest for you to help them because you don't have to be anyone but yourself you just got to show up yeah i mean and also in in certain cases that they have songs you know or have some concepts exactly you know i think that's something that i found myself um, in situations where I get excited to help create the vision and then create the songs, but then you get 70% into it and realize, man, I, I should be doing this for myself. <laughs> you know, at least that's happened to me before. And, um, but it seems that, you know, you, you've been, you know, doing what you're saying as far as building your own world around you, you know, for a while. And there's, I mean, I think there's a couple other people I'd like to mention this, like obviously Mark Ronson is someone you've worked with and had a lot of success with, but also Bruno, you know, I've, I remember Bruno mm-hmm. that being mm-hmm. at your house, you know, crashing at the house, you know, when he was mm-hmm. probably 18 or whatever mm-hmm. and always, 
loved him. And I always, I always thought he had such a like magnetic personality, even that stood out to me even more. And I always thought he was a great musician, but I, he was just someone you wanted to be around and you wanted to be friends with and you wanted to like kick it with. And, uh, and you guys obviously have uh, a great rapport for, for many, many years. Um, and it kind of like went a lot. Like I remember he was signed when, early, early on, and then ended up kind of getting into writing and producing for other people and then kind of cycled back to being an artist. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Did you work on his first record or was that kind of a little bit later that you guys reconnected? Well, I didn't, you know, because he, I had got started working with Kanye. Right. So that was during that, that point. Time. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of Tracy with a broken heart, I remember, driving to the studio the day after I started the track for, for try scene with a broken heart. And then I was listening to the radio and beautiful girl all yeah. over the world came on. And I was like, Hmm, that sounds like Bruno. I'm like, that is Bruno. And the song kept going. And I was like, Whoa, this song is a hit. I'm yeah. like, Oh my God, Bruno's going to be huge. Bruno's going to be a star. He did it because we had been working together when he, like you said, when he was very young, and um, uh, Mike Lynn, who used to be uh, A and R for, I remember, I remember Mike Lynn really well, yeah, yeah, for Gray, yeah, um, had signed him along with Steve Lindsay, who was a mentor to both Bruno and I. I kind of got it like uh, vicariously because I was working with, but Mike Lynn took, bought my game track and then said you should work with Bruno. Like they were just trying to figure out, you know, just they're hustling and putting people together and doing what A&Rs do. And I had my studio and got Bruno in there and we were trying to write songs and we, we were talented and we were like, we knew how to do stuff, but you know, it's funny you were saying how, how I was already writing songs back then and everything. Uh, when we, when, you know, when we were at Berkeley in Boston, but, they weren't hit songs, you know, and working with Bruno and going to Steve Lindsay, he and working with Diane Warren with Tyler uh, Coombs, who got me the gig working with Diane Warren. And this was the time I started learning about what did hit songs, you know, and, and how kind of you write that song that just cuts through the noise and makes impact. And so Bruno and I kind of like, learned our our craft of hit songwriting together you know kind of through steve Lindsay, and then i caught a little caught, caught a little uh cut all of the fumes off of diane warren too and um we were working on that and that's what kind of led into like when kanye heard my music he was like oh you you understand hitness because that's what's great about kanye is he kind of mixes like the highbrow and the lowbrow Right. Like yeah. some kind of very, very transcendental or like elegant or complex concepts mixed with just good old fashioned McDonald's fries. They just taste fucking good. Like no yeah. one can re- resist those McDonald's fries. He'll talk about, you know, um, yeah, yeah. so that's how we learn how to make those McDonald's fries together, you know, like and. Then I kind of left and went with Kanye, and that's like right when Bruno's deal kind of fell apart, and he kind of went on his own journey of realizing that he wanted he didn't want to make just like strict R and B music because he was kind of a like a light skin looking 
guy, but he's not black. He's like yeah. he's like Puerto Rican, Filipino. Like he found his own identity and his own authenticity, and and he was already an amazingly talented and charismatic, magnetic performer. But then when he learned how to write hit songs too for himself, yeah. then it was just like game over. It was just like, and he is, yeah, to this day, he's always been such an old soul, but like to this day, he just, he just kind of exudes that kind of old school, like kind of like swagger and, and, um, just like realness, you know, that, that is just so, and it's just been amazing to see like the, uh, the the heights he's ascended it's to incredible. as an artist it, yeah it's it made me so happy to see him you know just receive that i mean because he's also just was just one of those good people he's just a good yeah good dude yeah. you know and i yeah. think like and, and even though he, he was one of those people that hustled super super hard but always was just like paid attention to everybody and was always, um, I don't know. He's just a good dude. And so hey, seeing, he's, a see- he's a fucking dirt bag. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, it's like what you're getting at is like what, like earth, wind and fire, who right, I know right. we're both huge fans of when you go to his concert, you feel good. Yes, you walk yes. away just feeling good. And the whole intention of his artistry and, uh, and, is to make people feel good, you know, with Uptown Funk, you know, it's kind of like a, like a, like a flip side of Kanye, like kind of diving into these really deep kind of like soul searching things that, and I kind of went down this path with my Billy Craven project and thinking like music is so powerful and can, can, can carry a message so powerfully that you want to, um, you want to uh, make sure that the message is something that's important. And, you know, seeing like what happened with Uptown Funk and what, what Bruno does reminded me that just like, man, the power of music is just to bring people together and feel good. And like white, black, old, young, Christian, Muslim, fucking Republican, Democrat, Trump <laughs> supporter, Bernie Sanders, whatever supporter. It's like they just all want to get down to Uptown Funk. They all want to go have fun at the Bruno show. Brings them together and realizes that all this fighting is just stupid. We're all just human. We all want to just live together and have a good time. And, you know, we're, we're, we're actually more similar than we are different. And that's such a profound and powerful use of music and just like a, a, an element of his artistry that is, is just awe-inspiring. We'll be right back after a quick message from our sponsors. It's funny because I sometimes forget that that's part of a Mark Ronson album that was actually part of a concept album as right, a whole, right? right? And right. Bruno, Bruno came into. Did you bring Bruno into that project, or did he already know Mark? Yeah, he, he, uh, he had a relationship with Mark because right. we, Mark and I, and Emil Haney worked on Bruno's previous album, the, right. the, the Unorthodox Jukebox. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, and that's where we all met. We all heaven, kind of, right? yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So, you know, of course, Mark was like, hey, man, you know, got him on. We got to have Bruno on the on the album and and went in there and just like, yep, just uh, 
just, uh, oh, that just kind of came out. It's like, whoa. And did you guys actually make that one in Memphis? Because I was working at the Royal Royal Studios uh-huh. maybe a year uh-huh. or two after with Boo Mitchell. And uh-huh. he mentioned working with you guys. But I can't remember if yeah. it was that song. Was it that song? Well, we, you know, we started it in Los Angeles. Right. We started like the basic, uh, basic um, demo of it. And um, then we did spend a lot of time at Royal working on Mark's album as a whole, but right. did spend a lot of time working on Uptown Funk there too. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we definitely shout out to Boo Mitchell and, and Royal Studios. We had like such a great time there and he's such a, he's such a great guy with such great energy and it was a, an honor to work at that studio and definitely infused the, the album and, and there's a bit rubbed off on there. Um, I think like the the horn section, like Trombone Shorty and his crew recorded there at Royal. And yep, yep. I'm not sure exactly what parts. You know, it got recorded in a lot of places, um, which I've which I've uh, outlined uh, in in great detail in many uh, legal depositions. But yeah, that was that's that's a great experience there and. Um, working at Royal and all the history, history there. And yeah, that album was a whole, was like amazing and like had the whole concept and everything. I love a lot of that music, but sure goes to show what just a good old, I mean, there's no chorus. Don't yeah. believe me. Just watch. Come on. Da, 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 there's a dance, right? right? So, yeah. And just like the good old hit songwriting and, and what a good old having Bruno Mars on the track will do for you. Directed the video too, you know, like wow. he just knows what to do. Bruno and he knows himself, right? He knows what he wants to, I mean, and that's the ultimate thing is just to kind of be true to yourself and what your, your voice is. Right. You talked about that a little bit, um, yesterday, uh, when you're, and, and it's something that I think. Right on Christian's, uh, Christian Straka's. Yeah. Yeah. I really uh, enjoyed like hearing that. Cause, um, I think that's something that you pay a lot of attention to. I think a lot of producers maybe will come in and just do the song and, and leave. And, and I think you um, will take it on yourself in certain cases to bring that out of an artist, to bring, you know, help or help them usher more of themselves or their identity or in certain cases their vulnerability um, into a song. And do you, do you think that that is attributed by like, what do you think, is unique about your ability to do that. You know, I mean, is it creating a vibe? Is it kind of digging deeper with someone or? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I mean, maybe a lot of it has to do with me having to search for that myself, you know, because like even all the way back to Berkeley, like, you know, like you really had your, your personality and point of like, even like the Kras now is not that much different than the Kras in 1993 getting kicked out of the dorm, you know, like, <laughs> like, uh, um, and like Adam Deitch, you know, you guys are had such a, such a, such a flair and such a personality to what you did where a lot of what I did, I, I, you know, I shouldn't sell myself too short, but I think coming at music the way I did and, and even kind of being isolated in New Mexico, I didn't have a lot of, uh, it was a bit of a vacuum because I didn't have a lot of peers that were like pursuing music the way you guys had met at the Berkeley summer camp and maybe been around it even before. And, and, um, the, the identity, um, that I had was, I, it was, it was more like a curiosity, not curiosity, but I was exploring music 
kind of on this like academic or or very broad level and not even understanding like what it meant to be an artist or have this kind of like you know i guess i I had some there's something there but but um or maybe it was also this like i was you know because i started out kind of as a composer right? right and it's kind of like a very like bottomless well or 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 a or a canyon that you're yelling out across and the echo is not coming back like for a long time you know like it's such a broad um at least i don't know that's the way i viewed it like i just right. kind of just the breadth of what i wanted to do was so great or you know the kind of like uh, being interested in like the great classical composers or or Miles Davis, or it was so distant to me. It almost, I, I, I had a long, it took me a long time to connect to what artistry meant. So it wasn't very natural to me. So I think maybe because I searched for it so much myself, if I see it for that, I'll encourage that in an artist I'm working with or, or make sure that that box or that that kind of, lane is is not neglected or explored especially when it's kind of like the foundation of what we're doing and for me it just i mean it also just makes my job easier you know because i can't like you said like when you're kind of working on songs with people and trying to walk like find out what they want to do together it's kind of exhausting and sometimes like just like it's so difficult to kind of and exhausting to to do that with an artist when it's really a question they have to answer themselves. So it's really maybe um, maybe an attempt to make my job easier or not just waste time by saying, you know, like, all right, let's figure this out together. It's like, well, this is actually something that you have to do right. on your own. And then we can work together, you know, to a greater or lesser uh, degree. And it's always like also learning how different people to uh, kind of find find themselves. But yeah, it's just something that kind of always came maybe more naturally to me than just exerting what I wanted to do into the situation. And, you know, maybe that's why I've worked with so many different varying genres or, right. or styles of types of artists, you know, because I always, you know, I always want to just work with the most interesting or, or, our greatest person, you know, rather than a certain type of music or, or, uh, genre, you know? Right. And do you get inspired, um, by switching it up? I mean, is that, is that kind of like when you're, when you're done making a hip hop record and you jump to a country record, is that, does that kind of, does that spice it up for you and like keep you kind of excited about what you're doing? Maybe I, I definitely don't think about it like, Oh, I, I need to switch it up and, and to keep it exciting. So it's maybe it's like whatever excites me might be different for sure. You know? Right, so right. it ends up, it ends up kind of just naturally happening like that rather than kind of act. I don't actively seek it out, but now that you mention it, maybe that is, that is why, you know, I mean, um, you know, and um, it's, it, you know, just to be honest, like at a certain point after like fun and, certain amount of like success of on a certain level it's like 
do get caught up a little bit in the game of like, okay, what artist is, is, is you start looking besides just pure artistry, like, are they hot? Where is their career at? Like, right, do right. they, do they, you know, just to keep it 100, you know, I'm yeah, just like, you know, like, where are they on the career? And now, like, now I'm like totally like, I don't necessarily think like that and probably because I'm like 46 years old and I'm like, I don't even understand what the kids are doing now. So I'm just going to have to be point blank. Like, like, Hmm, maybe I better just go back to being authentic or, you know, I kind of drifted into like a real white lane of pop music and I'm really feeling the need to kind of get back to like that, like earthy soulful and like, hang out with black people like the way that we used to kind of connect and we're in this kind of polarized time where like even socioeconomically, you know, like when we were just broke college students in Boston, hanging out at Wally's and hanging out with our peers, just like it really like the color thing didn't really, it, it was there for a second. And then once you're just kind of into music together or even like, perform at Wally's it was a great equalizer right like shout out to Wally's in Boston um, for sure Roxbury Massachusetts like I I miss that a little bit I miss like connecting to like that African-American sensibility or like I watched Dave Chappelle uh Mark Twain prize uh Netflix show you know and him watching it you know Dave Chappelle just kind of embodies that like really what kind of it's kind of almost like being american you know like he spans so many uh kind of categories socially you know kanye does that too like they're both like very black and have that black experience and kind of tradition ingrained in them and that outspokenness um but i think that's like an outspokenness that you know, like I, I identify with that a lot, maybe also because my dad's from India and I'm kind of an immigrant too, actually. And, and even maybe when I didn't even really totally realize it, experienced kind of some racism or, you know, like, and just at least was raised not to think that I'm white, you right, know, right. Um, when maybe other people do look at me that way, or I'm kind of sliding in between. Um, so you know, I, I think maybe that's also another thing is like with the genres is like not feeling a particular home in any genre. Like if you're like a white country guy from from Tennessee, maybe you're like you're definitely not feeling like you're going to be in some like hip hop crew. You know, or if you're in some like hip hop crew in Harlem, you're not like necessarily trying to be um, go ride horses, although Lil Nas X just proved me wrong, you know, like, and that's, and that's a wonderful thing. Um, uh, the kind of age we live in, but yeah, for me personally, maybe it's also has a lot to do with not just, just not really feeling necessarily like I had some home, uh, genre wise, you know, or, or musically or my identity is so nailed down, you know, to be honest. When you were, starting to play music would you have ever imagined yourself where you are i mean when i met you you start you were obviously making songs but you were also like a you know a chick Corea, um herbie hancock guy you know really an amazing pianist and i mean you obviously still are um did you come into berkeley like wanting to pursue 
you know, being a player, being like a jazz player and then veer off this way? Or did you always kind of see somewhat of like a path like writing and producing? I absolutely had no idea that this is the path I would take. And I totally was just totally just wanted to be a jazz musician and just loved that so much. Um, and just happened to be, you know, I had this book called the contemporary keyboardist (laughs) and it was like, I forget who wrote it, but it was like, you know, just trying to learn how to be like a jazz piano player or a keyboardist. And, um, red keyboard magazine. And I was thinking about, I guess I was just always, I was thinking about like, well, how would I make a living at this? You know, like, um, cause I guess, you know, being from my, my, my family's all like doctors, you know, so veering off into a music career, I think it was somehow in the back of my mind, like how will I justify that I can make a living doing this? And I do remember, reading in the back of these, they had these interviews in the back of the contemporary keyboardist of like maybe eight people giving interviews about their career. And a lot of them were like studio musicians. I was like, Hmm, okay, okay. I could be a studio musician, like do sessions. And, and, um, and that seemed like something you can make money doing that. Then maybe that kind of started forming this idea of studio, the studio and, then I remember Herbie Hancock saying in the interview, always keep your publishing, you know, because that did amazing for him when he kept his publishing. I think his, uh, who would, who did he, who was his first band leader? He was with told him a trumpet player. Um, yeah, I should know this, but, uh, like, you know, when he was in New York, his first, uh, gig, his first band leader said, keep your publishing, you know, and he gave him kind of like a business savvy, you know, and, and Herbie always had that. And, you know, on through having like rocket and watermelon man and, and like these kind of like hits that I'm sure have done really well for him. Those little things definitely stuck in my mind along the way. And I was kind of like, Hmm. Okay. Putting a pin in these ideas of like how you make a living doing this, Um, but it was definitely kind of on the back burner or in the background of never thought like, like now I do meet kids today and people I mentor who are so young and I'm like, they want to be a, like a Grammy award-winning hit songwriting producer. And I'm like, I didn't even know what that was at that point, you know? So I am pretty befuddled that this is the path that my life took, you know, for sure. And now mentoring, you know, like you said, young producers and where, where do you see it all going? You know, are you, is that excite you kind of watching your engineers and producers kind of come up and, and helping them along the way? Yeah. I mean, I, you know what, I don't know if it's exciting to me, but it's something that I do get some, um, fulfillment out of like, um, doing and, and just teaching in general, you know, like at first it kind of started out as like a bit of like a business exercise of like you sign a producer or you sign an artist and you mentor them. And it was all based around like, okay, continuing the financial empire. But, um, you know, just to be honest, but a, a lot of, you know, the, the greatest thing I've gotten from it is the satisfaction of mentoring someone even for selfish reasons, you know, like when you teach someone something or 
even like when I'm sharing with you, like I get the opportunity to be put on the spot to really say what I believe in or I'm about or this is my approach to doing it. And when you kind of put on that spot or someone is listening, like you're listening to me right now, when someone is actually listening to you, you know, you, you get a lot out of that. So, you know, I, I, I definitely feel that in my life, um, as one of the most fulfilling things and more and more realize that as what is really fulfilling in your life, you know, versus the writing another hit song or, or, um, you know, what your net worth is, you know, or, you know, like all those kind of things that once you get some success, you only want more, you know, Drake kind of said that in the interview, like, you know, it just your appetite increases for what and your goals and, and definitely kind of being around Kanye, you know, and I think also like hip hop has that kind of like, it's very aspirational. So that kind of rubs off on you, this idea that for them, it's like about finding a footing in a socioeconomic world, you know, like Jay-Z, you know, like, or Drake even started from the bottom. Now we hear, you know, it's like all this kind of like money is, and for people who are like my more like artistic friends and purely artistic or even from other countries, they're just like, they just do not understand that. They're like, what is this all about this? You know, where I'm just into art, you know, it's like, yeah, you're from Sweden and you're like socialism, like socialism. So you don't have to worry about like, you know, we're Americans. So it's all about like, you can make it, you know, and like, you're thinking about making it and now I made it, you know? So I'm definitely questioning a lot of my motivations and recalibrating a lot of that and mentoring and teaching definitely pops up as something that's just so rewarding and, and definitely kind of thinking about switching gears from thinking about it as this kind of like business exercise to, you know, like separating things to like, all right, like teaching, just teaching or mentoring just for mentoring sake and not expecting anything to come from it. But, uh, financially, but right, right. you do get so much out of it. For sure. Now I've definitely been feeling that. I mean, I think that's also something as you get older, you appreciate more and more. And that, that kind of balance between, you know, giving because you want to and not worrying. So it's also as you become more financially stable, you have <laughs> it becomes right. easier right. to do things that aren't motivated for money. But I know in my case, uh, I, just can't even do things that I don't feel 100% about anymore, even if there is money and whatever. I think that that is something that as you get older, you just do things you want to do because you want to do it Um, and be Uh around the people that you really want to be around, you know? Um, So it's, it's interesting because I feel like so many of my friends at this point in their careers are, are enjoying these moments also, and also kind of, it's full. It is. It's fulfilling to pass on the knowledge that you have, you know, in whatever way. Are you still uh, writing your own music? Are you going to release anything of your own? You think in the next year or so? Absolutely. I mean, I have so many kind of like seeds, like planted, and and a few kind of unfinished projects. But um, you know, I just move. You know, moving my um, 
moving my my studio's home base kind of because of this quarantine right um it's kind of given me the opportunity to kind of boot up boot up um like from scratch like kind of the way we the way like you saw my little home studio and we lived together in Jamaica Plain yeah yeah and you know you had to, you had to rack in the you had to screw in the rack yourself oh, yeah. and you had to connect the wires like I'm kind of back to that so yeah I'm looking forward to that as an opportunity to um reboot that kind of spirit and and also even like in this quarantine like engaging in like what we're doing now like okay we're reconnecting through making a podcast and and you know I'm doing this like concert performance like via home uh studio or home you know with uh, with nate i'm going to perform we are young for the world health organization concert um cool. and mark, part of mark ronson's uh uh i don't know when this will air this will probably already happen but just going through that and then, like discovering tiktok and discovering all these like tools that are i think we're kind of coming into this virtual realm it's kind of like okay like utilize all these tools i think the tools have kind of caught up to like damn, when I wanted to like make my own video, but I needed like a person with equipment and you need to know how to do it. And it's like yeah. really come to the point where you really can just do it yourself. And 100%. and now how we're just kind of like, even not being precious with it now because of the situation we're in, I'm like, damn, like I kind of could just not be precious with it, period. And just like go for it. And like, you know, like um, you having your show, maybe I hope you'll be a guest on my podcast that I'm I should down. start doing, I'm you know? Down. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and kind of sharing and spreading knowledge and it's kind of a scary thought. Like I think when we think we're losing the, the human touch of things, but it's actually a pretty beautiful thing to, to, to think about us coming together, sharing. Those are all kind of like concepts that I think are really positive and, and I think we're kind of feeling it now. So I'm prepping for virtual reality, basically. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've been doing, I've been doing these concerts like every week where we put together these songs and it started out as me getting other musicians and me then, and then editing the video together. And then I started realizing that I could just do it. So I like started playing drums again and like bass and I have all this stuff here. So it's kind of crazy, but I, you know, I, it's, you know, interacting with actual other people. I, I do miss that. I do miss playing actual shows, um, mm. and being around mm. people, but for now, um, utilizing the technology has definitely been nice. Yeah. It's going to feel like that first cigarette after you quit smoking for like, yeah three years and you like smoke and you're like, Oh my God. When you hear that roar of that crowd, when yeah. you finish a song again, it's going to be, yeah, it'll be nice. Well, I appreciate you taking the time, my friend. Well, it was my pleasure. Um, it was so fun to catch up with you. For sure. For sure. And, uh, hopefully I will see you in actual real, uh, in real time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Soon yeah. enough, my friend. would love that. All right, brother. Well, thank you again. All and, right, uh, Crash. Give my best to the fam. Yes, will do. And lots of love to you. All right, brother. It was great to talk with Jeff Basker on the show today. And before we leave you, I'd like to play a song that he wrote and produced for Alicia Keys. And uh, a cool little tidbit about this song is this is actually one of the first fully formed songs that I heard him sing and produce back in the day. And when Alicia Keys heard it, she obviously wanted it for her album. This is Try Sleeping With A Broken Heart.
Krasno Plus One is hosted by me, Eric Krasno. Executive producers are RJB and Christina Collins. Audio production by Matt Dwyer. Produced by myself and Ben Baruch of 1111 Group. All original music is by me, and most of which are instrumentals from my album, Telescope, under the artist name Kras. This podcast is presented by Osiris Media. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email Kraz plus one at Gmail. That's K-R-A-Z-P-L-U-S-O-N-E at gmail.com. Send me some questions. Maybe I'll answer them on air. Send me suggestions of other guests you'd like to hear on the show. Thanks again for tuning in. I'll see you next time.